0: Welcome to Full Rigor, of Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. Ooh, as I promised, a ghost story, a very strange, unsolved murder of a man named John Harden, which some believe has spurred an even stranger haunting of an old Victorian home in Claremont, Florida. In 1975, John Harden was murdered in his driveway and... This murder is compelling and unsolved. Many times when someone is killed and their murder is unsolved, their spirit has a hard time breaking free from this terrestrial, secular world into some ethereal heaven or hell. So perhaps his soul got stuck until uh, Unsolved Mysteries got a hold of the story. Of course, it was an Unsolved Mysteries episode about past lives in the early 90s that Motivated me to call Dr. Brian Weiss, who wrote Many Lives, Many Masters, and I ended up having a past life experience. You can hear all about it in my second podcast, episode number two, I Am My Mother's Dead Sister. Very compelling story about my past life experience. But back to the John Harden murder mystery and haunting. But what's even weirder, in August of 1968... A woman by the name of June Ferris had a strange dream about a house into which she had never stepped.
1: In the dream, I was in an upstairs bedroom and uh, I would come out of the bedroom, go out into the hallway and uh, I would turn to the right and go down the narrow staircase. I knew the house had a front staircase, but I never used the front staircase in the dream. It was always the back. I had a feeling of uh, anxiety, an anxious feeling, that something was going to happen that I should know about. And I would go out the kitchen door onto the porch. And that's where I would wake up. And I suppose that uh, this dream continued maybe once a month, until we moved to Orlando four years later. So June continued to
0: have this strange dream about the big white house until she moved to Orlando with her family and actually stumbled upon that very house. And it was for sale. She called the real estate agent, and they went inside.
1: So as we walked through the house, it definitely was the same house of the dream. And I knew every room in the house, every closet, every, where everything was. It, it was. it was just a real unusual experience. Not scary. Not, uh, I didn't feel spooked. It was just, it was a good feeling. It was a feeling like I had come home.
0: So, the big white house at 5th and Osceola Streets in Claremont dates from 1885, and the home has had many different owners. In 1975, the house was owned by one Victoria Mango Harden. She lived there about a year until her husband was killed in the front yard in the driveway, and she reportedly never spent another night in the house. The stories of a ghostly presence in the house, a man dressed like John Harden, started to be reported.
1: My father had brought the boat out on the trailer. And the trailer hitch was on a sawhorse type stand. And it looked as if someone had reached over, picked the trailer hitch up, and just dropped it on the ground. There was nobody there. I mean, it was blank space. It wasn't like it jumped off. It was like someone had actually lifted it off of the stand and dropped it. And it happened several times again afterwards.
0: That's Robin Grimes, June's daughter.
1: Did I really see that? Did that really happen? But it was just shock, absolute shock. So
0: June Ferris looked into the history of the home in 1985, learning about John Harden's murder. Supposedly, the back staircase he took to the backyard was the same one that June Ferris had dreamt of prior to moving to Florida and finding the actual house. So they decided the apparition of the man in his 30s they saw in the home was Harden based on his appearance.
2: I was a firm disbeliever in ghosts, but after everything that's happened to me in that house, there is such a thing as ghosts, and there is a ghost in that house.
0: Bob Vitter had started dating June's younger daughter, Lori, and June believed that John Harden hoped to solve his own murder with her help. Now, after selling the house, Ken and Donna Hatley purchased it in 1990. And they experienced the same alleged hauntings as the Ferris family. So, after hearing about the supposed haunting from the current owner's Unsolved Mysteries, came a calling and put the Hardens case on the TV show. And the weird thing is, although the show's producers say that about 80% of the cases that they highlight go on to be solved by police, they didn't get any calls the day of the airing. And as of today, the case remains unsolved. And get this, after the Unsolved Mysteries episode aired that highlighted Hardin's unsolved murder and the alleged hauntings, Ken and Donna Hatley say the paranormal activity stopped in 1992. The Harden Murder episode aired on Unsolved Mysteries October thirtieth, nineteen ninety-one. It was a Halloween show.
2: A couple of nights before Halloween, Laura and I were in the parlor on the couch. And we heard the back screen door slam. What's that?
1: It's just my mom.
2: Oh. We heard something with boots come through the kitchen not your mother. and walk down the hallway and stop in the opening going into the parlor. And I had feeling that whatever it was was standing right there watching us and the sound of its boots continued down the hallway and I followed it and at that point I was really very very scared
0: one tale concerning the home being haunted supposedly involved an elderly couple and their visiting grandson. Now, according to their story, the grandson left the house to meet up with a girl. And when he returned home, he entered through the back stairway, just like John Harden and just like June Ferris. And his grandparents were awakened by his screams. So the grandfather rushes to the staircase, the back staircase, and slips in blood. Blood can be very slippery. It's very viscous. When the grandmother found the pair, the grandson had a nasty cut on his head from a fall, and the father was lying near him. He was unconscious from his own tumble. Now, the grandson allegedly remembered absolutely nothing of the events of the night and refused to go anywhere near the house again. And the grandparents sold the home immediately and moved. So the ghost apparently quieted down after the show aired. But what really happened to John Harden? Here's how the murder went down. On March 22nd, 1975, John Harden was returning from work. He had an emergency call. He was a refrigerator repairman, and he owned his own business. He took a shower, and then he noticed from the bathroom window that his work truck was on fire. It was on fuego. He ran down the back staircase, just like June Ferris, in his flannel shirt and jeans, He emerged into his yard and he tried to save his vehicle. He pulled out the fire extinguisher. Well, apparently the killer was hiding in the bushes and ambushed him with a shotgun, shot him, one shot to the chest. Police and investigators believe that the shooter purposely set fire to the work truck to lure Harden out of the house, away from his wife and child who were home at the time. Neighbors noticed the truck was on fire, and then they heard a gunshot, so they called the fire department and the police, who rushed over to help. Harden was still alive, his body lying on the ground. It took about a minute from call to arrival of emergency services. And after being rushed to the hospital, Harden succumbed to his injuries at about 11.24 that night. Halloween. Although police compiled a list of suspects, none of the evidence ever yielded enough probable cause to make an arrest. Police found the offending shotgun in the bushes and shotgun pellets littered the ground. But no connection to a suspect was ever made. The house is actually located close to the boat ramps at Riverfront District of Claremont, leading some investigators to believe that the shooter wandered away from the Harden home and escaped on an awaiting boat. Another strange detail in the story involves Harden's first wife, Rita. She was a high school sweetheart, and the two married around 1961 and lived in Jacksonville with their four children.
1: Every moment with him was wonderful. He was a good person. He was always caring, not only about his family, but his friends. You know, everybody. He was always concerned about everyone around him, everyone that touched his life. After
0: 14 years of marriage, Harden left Rita out of the blue. And the
2: kids he came in from work one afternoon
3: i love you you know that.
2: put his arms around me yes, I do. he said i love you
3: i have to go away
2: what do you mean i have to leave for a while he said i have some problems and when i get myself together i'll be home
0: but he never came home And then he married his second wife, Victoria, and the pair left Jacksonville with their infant child and moved into the home on Osceola in Claremont around 1974. Victoria was 20 years old, her husband 32 at the time he passed away in 1975. Now Claremont, Florida is a small town of about 35,000 people, it's close enough to Orlando so they can take advantage of the tourism industry of nearby Disney World. Now murders are really infrequent there and when a homicide does happen, the Claremont Police Department successfully solves about 100% of the cases, except the only unsolved case is the Harden murder. Now, prior to the end of the supposed haunting, the Hatleys reported seeing the ghost of a man wearing a flannel shirt and jeans in the home. And supposedly, a visitor, producer Michael Anthony, saw the ghost of Hardin in the home in 1991, accompanied by angels, and spent time praying with Donna afterward. So perhaps it was the power of God and Unsolved Mysteries that put an end to the haunting. But... The murder of John Harden remains unsolved. Ah, indeed, an unsolved mystery. Ooh, down boy. Now, I want to talk to you about an issue that is near and dear to my heart and to Florida. And it's all about saving dogs from China where they eat them. Woof. I'm a cat person. I have two cats. I don't have a dog, but... I'm thinking of getting a golden doodle because the Chinese don't just eat dogs and have dog farms with, you know, mutts. No, they they breed purebred golden retrievers, labs, black labs. They like pugs. They like to eat French bulldogs. And they eat dogs not because they are running out of food, but they eat dogs for religious purposes. Apparently, dog eating in China is a tradition, and according to folklore, eating the meat during the summer months brings luck and good health. Some also believe that dog meat can ward off diseases and heighten men's sexual performance. So I spoke with the founder of China Rescue Dogs, her name is Jill Stewart, about her efforts to save these dogs and transport them from China back to the United States, and many of which end up here in Florida.
3: So, our rescue exclusively works all around China. We represent um, mainland China. We're on the Beijing, the Shanghai, the North Korea side. In China, There is no such thing as farm dogs. There is no such thing as dogs that are bred for dog meat, which is in South Korea and other Asian countries. In China, they're actually massive breeding farms. That's why you see a lot of purebred dogs, not just golden retrievers. You see all kinds of purebred dogs. So what, do they taste better? I
0: don't understand. Unfortunately,
3: the Chinese have belief systems such as black dogs, dark dogs golden retrievers um yellow labradors they actually believe that if they eat certain types of breed the meat is tastier they ward off ghosts they also believe that the more torture they ensue on these poor animals the more tender their meat is (sighs) so the barbaric torture is horrific in china breeders unload trucks and trucks of dogs when they're done or they don't want them there are various ways that these dogs end up in the slaughterhouses that's why you actually see in china unlike other asian countries you see purebred dogs that are slaughtered every single day
0: so you sent me a video of one dog being taken from a family right
3: That's correct. So I have a yellow Labrador that's coming in on January 28th. When the family was done with the dog, they um, were going to sell it for meat. And when I mean done, they just don't want the dog. They either turn them out on the street and the slaughter trucks pick them up, or they actually physically drive them to the slaughterhouses or meat restaurants. That's correct. And it has been a family pet.
0: (sighs) I mean, 10 million dogs are slaughtered each year for their dog meat trade, which brings in billions of dollars. And Jill explains how you can save a fraction of these dogs and how Florida is helping.
3: The amazing thing about Florida that we have, which is so exciting, is a doctor that adopted a golden retriever from us on my first flight, actually, when I was in China, actually was a flight volunteer for this golden retriever. And she has networked so many homes and families. In Florida and South Florida, all around Florida, we have lots of animals that are placed in Florida. Not just golden retrievers. We have small little dogs. We have black labs. We have yellow labs. We have French bulldogs. And Really? And golden doodles?
0: Do you have golden doodles?
3: We will try to find you a golden doodle. <laughs> Yay! I promise not to eat it. <laughs> um, what's wonderful is this has all been word of mouth. So my Florida community, I have to do a big, huge shout out because not only do you guys step up and help us, but you are so committed to helping that most of my Florida families will drive 18 hours. They'll fly to JFK because our freighters only come into JFK in certain international ports. Our Florida families are amazing. They not only adopt our dogs, but the time and the distance doesn't even make a dent to them. They buy the tickets and then they rent a vehicle and they drive their animals home. And they're so gracious that they'll stop over in the southern states for me and they'll continue to drop animals off. And their destination will be Florida. And what's amazing again is I just had another family who adopted a golden retriever in the southwest Florida area. Her best friend wants a pug that she saw that we just saved in the slaughterhouse. And so again, that's word of mouth. So the community in Florida is amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: So Jill, how can we help you? So
3: our, our biggest need right now as most folks that Run Nonprofits is funding. We are in a situation right now that's pretty catastrophic and we need to continue to raise funds. There are certain breeds and certain rescues that are more solvent than others. I have currently right now two projects that I would love to help from your Florida community. I have French Bulldogs that need to be rescued. I have over 200 and I also have beautiful yellow Labradors. I have a training facility in Florida that wants to help us, they actually want to take these Labradors and they want to use them for veterans and ESA dogs or service dogs. Wonderful. So we are looking for the funding, specifically looking for the funding to help us start a foundation to do these two projects. And these most of these dogs would be located in Florida, at least the Labrador project would be. So it's a win-win situation. It's a win for the dogs. It's a win for the Florida community, and it's a win for the population that needs the emotional support dogs, the veterans that need the dogs, the special needs kiddos that might need a lab to accompany them into school.
0: Awesome, so where do they go, where do they log on?
3: They go to our website, ChinaRescueDogs.org. We have a huge button that says Donate. The people who run my organization are all around our country. But again, our Florida community is fantastic, and we have a training facility, but unfortunately, we do need the funding to do this project. Moving freight across our world is quite expensive, and most people don't understand that although we are moving precious cargo, such as our dogs, it still is the cost of weighing the freight on the freighters which are big cargo planes. And until the borders open, which I'm optimistic that they'll open in maybe six to nine months and we'll resume business as always where we send flight volunteers, including myself, we are still subject to a fairly high price for these kiddos to come in to our country.
0: I understand. So log on to ChinaRescueDogs.org. Click on the big donate button. Please help get these dogs out of China.
3: Yes. So, We are so blessed. You know, a lot of people say to me, are we really making a difference? Are we really changing this? What are we doing? You know, if we give to this, how does this help? Just this week with the donations that we've collected, I've been able to save six Labradors, French Bulldogs, nine Golden Retrievers, poodles. I've also been able to buy an entire pallet of dog food which we can show on your website to feed our animals in the shelters that are remaining. And we are making a movement right now in China that our country, not just in the state of Florida, that's amazing, but our country no longer will tolerate or listen to what the Chinese government has to say that this is not occurring. We can show that it is continued to occur. And this meat industry is not about animals that are being needed for food sources. This is about a billion dollar industry and brutality that is just unacceptable at this point in our world.
0: It's inhumane.
3: You know, I believe that these are creatures created by God. And when you torture a soul like this, this is just absolutely barbaric. And the brutality is just absolutely horrific. Our country does care, and your donations, your direct donations make a huge impact and a direct relationship to saving these animals and to make a big difference in
0: this meat industry in China. All right, ChinaRescueDogs.org. Go donate now. Thank you, Jill. We'll keep up with you on how you're doing. And when the borders do open, we hope that you can have a big surge of dogs coming in.
3: I thank you so much, Karen, and all the support that we have in Florida. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. That wraps up Full Rigor. Thanks for listening. Until next time.